And Richard, happy to have you. Hi. Hi, everyone. How are you guys doing today? Good. Um, thank you very much for having us. And I I'm very we're very happy to have Richard. I'm just gonna briefly give an introduction of how I met him. Um he, we I met him in DC at a conference. And then the most exciting thing was in Spain, we had him in 2008 at the Colegio Oficial de Arquitectura de Madrid, which is the official architectural school of Madrid. And they uh, had him, and there was like 6,000 people, it was a huge crowd that had mainstream uh, news covering it. I don't think they realized before what he was going to be talking about. They had uh, live uh, uh, translation services. So, and Telecinco, which is one of the big uh, channels over there, asked me to send the PowerPoint at 3 a.m. They said, send me the PowerPoint and we'll, we'll put them on tomorrow morning. So I sent it. And uh, the next morning, one of our teams saw him on TV, on mainstream TV. They did a big uh, show about, well, a five-minute clip about uh, Richard Gage and showing videos of Building 7 coming down. Mm. And uh, I called the lady that I had a contact with at Telefstinko, and I was like, oh, is this going to be on tonight, too? She goes, yeah, it's going to be running every every few hours. <laughs> of course, it was never on again. <laughs> Wow. And um, Bruce is very, I'm sorry, Richard is very, very brave. And I think it's uh, when people ask me, aren't you afraid? I think I say no, because we're the ones that aren't doing anything wrong. They're the ones who are doing something wrong. Bruce, do you want to uh, comment about how you know Richard? Yes, thank you. And uh, Penny, uh, thanks again for having us uh, back on your show. It's great to be Back here for another episode. Uh, again, uh, my name is Bruce Stanley, a longtime organizer and uh, former candidate for Florida governor. Um, our guest is very special today. Very few people uh, have done as much work on the topic of 9-11 truth as Richard Gage. Uh, I've been following his work since the beginning. If you're not familiar, he's been speaking out about the issue for over 15 years now, doing countless uh, interviews, guest appearances, tabling at events, you name it. Uh, I was proud to have met him back in 2016 when we put together a Miami stop on his nationwide tour that year with the firefighters for 9-11 Truth. Uh, and I remember one day I just happened to flip on C-SPAN and there was Richard Gage right in the living room reaching a wide audience and uh, getting his message into the public record. Um, he'd been doing vital work with architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth. I'm sure we're going to be talking about this, but I think we've all benefited from the fact that he's now unleashed and free to weigh in on other topics beyond just the structural engineering aspects of 9-11. Uh, he's on all the major platforms, and I would encourage you to check out his work at richardgage911.org. Uh, so welcome to the show, Richard, and uh, we're looking forward to your presentation. Thank you, Bruce. Appreciate that so much. Thank you, Diana. Okay, are so uh, are, are you guys, oh, hold on just a second. I have another guest, host, Rainy Robinson. Hey. Hi, everybody. Um, I told Rainy she had to engage for this one because this is uh, going to be one fabulous uh, segment on our show. Um, everyone introduce themselves. Uh, Richard Gage, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? And I'm going to bring in your presentation. Yeah, I was shocked uh, to hear on the radio uh, 2006, uh, David Ray Griffin uh, being interviewed. He's the he's written now 14 books on the subject of 9/11 Truth, 
And I had heard no alternative theory ever about how these towers came down on 9-11 or that there was a third skyscraper that collapsed on 9-11. So this just woke me up. I mean, I was a flag-waving Reagan Republican Republican ready to go in and get those you-know-whats that did this to us. And boy, was I in for a rude awakening. Uh, we had been lied to. The entire world had been gaslighted. Turns out that the evidence that David Ray Griffin introduced me on that day, um, it, 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 he was talking about uh, four-ton structural steel sections out of the Twin Towers ejected laterally at 80 miles an hour, landing 600 feet in every direction, dripping with molten metal. We're going to go through that today. But I, it launched me. I had to figure this out. Uh, is this true? Is he lying to me? Is this the biggest, or is this the biggest scam that's ever been per perpetrated right. on the American people? Uh, so um, we have. Um, uh, I, I I took as much information as I could over the next couple of months, put it together in a PowerPoint, took it to my architecture firm because I had been talking about what I had learned, and they kind of thought I was nuts. Um, most of them, and yet. Uh, I bought him pizza. I made him come in and uh, they listened for 45 minutes. After that presentation, every hand went up in the room. Oh, my God. You're right. These are controlled demolitions. Uh, we've got to do something. And, Richard, I wanted to just let you know, in, in the event that you can't get, uh, we generally close at about uh, 55 on the hour. If you can't get through everything, we, we entreat you to come back again and again. Oh, well, that's sweet of you, uh, because uh, what we have prepared for you is uh, Building 7 today uh, in, in a very light uh, format. We're going to I have an in-depth presentation just on Building 7. It's two hours. Wow. Uh, so we're going to we're going <laughs> to highlight over uh, the most essential points uh, today. OK, did you want to uh, advance your you want to start it? Sure. Are you ready to rock and roll? Most people, don't rock even and roll. Know. <laughs> people don't even know about the third worst structural failure in modern history. I mean, mm -hmm. this, we're going to talk about it, but I'm an architect. Uh, I'm one of 90,000 members of the American Institute of Architects. And uh, we didn't receive one bulletin on this after the Twin Towers, the worst structural failure in modern history. Uh, it should have been the most studied building failure ever. And yet it was just eliminated from the colleges, the universities, the professional institutions. It's incredible. This is the building we're talking about right here. In fact, um, uh, let me, let me plug this in. Hold on. Uh, this building is just North of the, uh, World Trade Center, uh, just right across the street, is part of the World Trade Center. It's uh, building number seven. It was built in the 80s. Larry Silverstein is the developer. Now, after 9-11, well, excuse me, about six weeks before 9-11, he acquired the entire World Trade Center superblock uh, that you see here. And, and uh, that's the big uh, it includes building one, the North Tower, and building two, uh, the South Tower. So now this building 
World Trade Center 7 was not hit by a plane. So why are we talking about it? Because it was destroyed nevertheless. Here it is on the right. Uh, and it's a, it's about 100 yards from the North Tower. And indeed, uh, some of the beams from the North Tower hit it uh, that far away. Uh, because they were ejected, in fact, up to 600 feet in every direction. Uh, that's a couple of football fields. So, But here it is standing just fine, despite some damage, which NIST, the National Institute of Standards and Technology, who was tasked by Congress to explain these collapses to the American people, uh, they said, uh, uh, no, that was not a significant factor in the building's collapse. Well, what was? Right. Let's watch the building. Here's the East Penthouse falling first up at the top, an isolated event. And then six seconds later, this happens. Wow. Now, have you guys seen this before uh, on TV? Not that one. No, not that angle, no. But uh, anything that looks like it at all. Oh, well, yes. <laughs> Okay. Yes. Uh, we're we're talking about like the old hotels in Las Vegas, yes. right? When they bring yeah, them mm -hmm, down with mm -hmm. controlled demolitions. So it looks exactly like a controlled demolition, and yet NIST, uh, who NIST uh, never seriously considered this in any of their uh, hypothesis as any of their high working hypotheses, they went straight toward the official narrative that the building came down by fire. In fact, they reinforced that. In fact, here is uh, Sham Sunder of NIST telling us just that. What we found was that uncontrolled building fires caused an extraordinary event. The collapse of World Trade Center 7 was primarily due to fire. Okay, fires caused this building to come down. Hey, right. let's look at those fires. Because mm -hmm. these are the worst fires that we have photographic or video evidence of in the building. As you can see, they're few, they're relatively small, and they're scattered throughout the building. So those fires are going to bring that building down <laughs> like we saw, like we just saw. Let's listen uh, further here to Sham Sunder. Our study has identified thermal expansion as a new phenomenon that can cause the collapse of a structure. For the first time, we have shown that fire can induce a progressive collapse. Wait a minute. Hmm. When, he says, see, when he says for the first time, he's not kidding. No steel frame fire-protected skyscraper has ever collapsed from fire, and yet right. there are dozens and dozens of examples. I'll show you a few. But let's go further and listen to the rest of what he says. And you can see on the screen, the column at the very right is column 79. And that's the column that first buckles, mm -hmm. causing the floors to come down, followed by a quick succession of failures of adjoining columns. So they're using a computer model to try to explain, i.e. reverse engineer, uh, the collapse of the building to try to make some, well, to, to try to give an explanation that would ward off the architects and engineers. But look at this building. Uh, this building is 
full of incredible iron. It's a moment-resisting steel frame building. Could it have come down at freefall acceleration in six and a half seconds through this structure? The that 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 if any of those columns and beams gave any resistance to this building's collapse, it would have taken 30, 40 seconds, a minute, 10 minutes to collapse if it was going to collapse at all. This structure is absolutely incredible and impervious and five times stronger than it needed to be because that's what you do with skyscrapers just in case something goes wrong they have to have a safety factor built in because fires do happen in buildings uh there's been at least uh six seven eight dozen much larger much longer lasting and much hotter fires in these types of buildings and yet not one of them has ever come down, not even since 9-11, when we have uh, so many. Uh, in, in, in the last few months, there's been like wow. three of them. So we look at the set of features of controlled demolition and we compare Building 7 to them. The first one, is there a sudden onset of destruction? Well, here's Dan Rather. Uh, let's listen to it. Oh. What you're seeing are high shots. Now, here we're going to show you a videotape of the collapse itself. Describe that. Now we go to videotape the collapse of this building. It's amazing. A, a amazing, incredible, pick your word. For the third time today, it's reminiscent of those pictures we've all seen too much on television before when a building was deliberately destroyed, destroyed by world-class dynamite to knock it down. What? Right? Deliberately destroyed by well-placed dynamite? To knock it down. Yeah, Dan is using his intuition here, right? We've all seen these old hotels in Las Vegas, and it's fascinating to watch. Uh, that's the only way these buildings come down, so we appreciate that, but Dan never mentioned this. I was going to say, did Dan ever reiterate that statement again on air? Not once. In fact, we've not seen this building come down on mainstream television uh, with maybe two exceptions very early on. It is like being banned. And yet again, it should have been the most studied structural failure ever. No plane hit this building. Uh, how does it come down straight down symmetrical? Well, let's go from look from West Street straight down, pretty symmetrical, exactly like a controlled demolition. It should have been the first hypothesis that NIST examined, but no, they chose the most unlikely one and shelved the most likely hypothesis, completely violating the scientific method. This is the abuse of science. One of the 12 parallels that are we see between 9-11 and COVID, the complete abuse of science. We'll go over the other 12 parallels when we have a chance. Yes. But yeah, the building falls right down into its own footprint. The way you do that 
is to take out the core columns followed by the perimeter columns a second later on every floor. And does fire have that removal, that level of precision? These are the core columns where the elevators are and the other services in the building. They have to go down a second before the perimeter on every floor. If even one of those columns gave any resistance, you could not have free fall acceleration, which we'll get to. But these fires are what caused that level of precision. You begin to see the problem and why we start with Building 7. It is such a classic case of, of lying and fraud in the NIST report that when people see it, they go, oh, my God, uh, I've been lied to. And this is what got me so angry uh, 18 years ago now. I looked at the comparison of a controlled demolition on the right series of them and building seven on the left. Is there any similarity? It's identical to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, there's at least enough similarity, right. To, uh, to warrant an investigation into the possible use of explosives to bring the building down. But no, it was only added 10 years later to their website in the frequently, very frequently asked questions, FAQs, 10 years later. Uh, it's, it's like they, they, they got inundated with responses, so they had to deal with it. But those fires brought that building down symmetrically. It almost sounds more symmetrical than the other buildings. The, it's like they did a better job on seven going symmetrically down than the other examples you gave. They yeah. were tilting and seven just went straight. And when we come back um, uh, again, we'll look at the twin towers uh, here. Um, did we have witnesses of explosions? Uh, let's first listen to the official narrative here. We did not find any evidence that explosives were used in the collapse of building seven. We ran down detailed computer simulations of blast scenarios this size blast would have produced an incredibly loud sound that was not recorded on videos of the collapse, nor reported by witnesses. No, let's listen to a few of them. Here's Daryl, a medical student, uh, uh, that, that, that evening uh, on 1010 Winds Radio in New York City. We were watching the building, actually, because it was on fire, the, uh, the bottom floors of the, the building were on fire, and... Uh, you know, we heard this this sound that sounded like a clap of thunder. Turned around, we were shocked to see that the building was, uh, uh, well, it looked like there was uh, a shock wave uh, ripping through the building and the windows all uh, busted out and, you know, it was horrifying. Then, uh, you know, about a second later, the bottom floor caved out and uh, the building followed after that and um, we saw the building crash down all the way to the ground. Wow. A shockwave ripping through the building, the windows busting out a sound of a clap of thunder, then the building coming down to the ground about a second later. How about this gentleman, Kevin McPadden, former Air Force medic, on hand. And then it was like another two, three seconds, you heard explosions, like boom, 
It has like a distinct sound. It's not like when in compression, like boom, 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 like floors that were dropping and collapsing. This was boom, and like you felt a rumble in the ground, like almost like you wanted to grab onto something. That, to me, I knew that was an explosion. There was no doubt in my mind. And this gentleman. I'm going to call in Bill Rosati. He was here when it all happened. He saw it for himself. Bill, if you can just tell us what uh, you saw, what you heard. Uh, I was standing like two blocks away, and all of a sudden I just seen a big flash, and then I seen the building coming down, and I just seen people just running everywhere, chaotic-like. A big flash. How about this gentleman who, along with Mayor Giuliani's attorney, Michael Hess, um, Barry Jennings, and he were called as an to an emergency meeting because a plane had just hit the towers. So they arrived late because by the time the second plane hit the second tower, everybody else had evacuated out of the building. These guys didn't know that. Apparently nobody put a sign on the door and um, they went, they, they got all the way up to the 23rd floor and this is their experience. And there was nobody there. Uh, and uh, here's their experience uh, coming back. When we got to the eighth floor, I started walking to one side of the building. That side of the building was gone. The first explosion I heard when I was on the stairwell landing, when we made it down to the sixth floor. Then we made it back to the eighth floor. I heard some more explosions. You know, What's the sound? Like a boom. Like, like an explosion. More than one? Yes. We started walking down the stairs. We made it to the eighth floor. Big explosion. Blew us back into the eighth floor. When we get outside, police officer comes to me and says, you have to run. We have more information of bombs, so you have to run. So the FBI has information of bombs here and telling them you got to run. They're seeing uh, the stairwells itself uh, damaged in an explosion. Now, all of this, by the way, is before any of the two towers came down. So something's going on inside the building with all these explosions, which are heard, in fact, the late morning of 9-11. And in this case, of course, after uh, the towers came down, because you can see the litter uh, and dust, uh, powdered concrete. I have a question. Are any of these witnesses alive still? Well, that one was murdered the day before the final NIST report came out uh, in 2008. Um, uh, it's really quite a story. Um, but, uh, the other ones I, I presume are. So, and these guys I presume are. Yeah. Here's one of the guys you can tell you I'm okay. All right. Yeah. You, you, you want to call your mother or something? So they say these sounds that you thought were explosions are one floor falling on another. Well, no building is collapsing at this time and it's obviously an explosion. So NIST says they interviewed hundreds of witnesses, uh, but uh, none of these apparently because they claim there's no witnesses of explosions uh, anywhere, by the way, uh, other than the original, the two plane explosions and some explosions in the lobby which they claim are jet fuel uh, leaking down the elevator hoistways, which we'll get to next time. But they, we, we have evidence of extreme heat by Abelhazen Astani Ozel, a UC Berkeley structural engineering professor, who says, I saw melting of girders at the World Trade Center. 
Well, this is a World Trade Center 7, Building 7, piece of steel. Now, guess what? Fires do not do this to steel. And yet, he says, uh, the author of the FEMA report, uh, Jonathan Barnett, says steel members in the debris pile appear to have been partly evaporated in extraordinarily high temperatures. New York Times uh, reports this. There's a problem here, though. It takes 4,000 degrees temperature to evaporate steel. It takes 2,800 Fahrenheit to begin to melt it. And yet the office fires are only 500 degrees Fahrenheit to 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit max. So none of the official story can explain these extreme temperatures. In fact, the uh, one, the author, the owner of the cleanup company, uh, CDI, curiously controlled demolition Inc uh, says molten steel was found at world trade center seven. Wait a minute. We've got molten steel. What can cause that? Well, even the FEMA report that came out in May of 2002, the first report says, uh, it puts a metallurgical examination of the steel in their appendix C of the building performance assessment team report. What does it say? Never before observed eutectic reactions, intergranular melting, solid steel girder turning into Swiss cheese, like you see here in this piece of World Trade Center 7 steel. So you see, this can't happen in normal office fires. And by the way, it can't happen with jet fuel either. Jet fuel is essentially kerosene. It only burns at 600 degrees in open air, according to its own manufacturer, 600 degrees Fahrenheit. And yet, again, no plane hit Building 7, so we're not even talking about that in this case. Well, rapid oxidation, sulfidation, they're talking about the deepest mystery uncovered in the investigation. By the way, liquid iron. What is liquid iron? That's molten iron. That's Again, 2,800 degrees Fahrenheit, minimum. Hot corrosion attack on the steel. Perhaps the deepest mystery uncovered. Uh, but this report was completely removed from the NIST report who they, when they took over the investigation in 2002. They, the, the whole Appendix C, the entire document, was completely removed. And they claim then no steel was recovered from building summit. Well, we just showed you that piece of steel. In fact, I'll show it to you again. Here's John Gross, the project leader of the NIST report, standing on the pile, documenting the very piece of steel that was given to FEMA to use in the Appendix C metallurgical examination. He denies the evidence, but his shadow is all over it. They can't get away with this, not if we all cry out for a new investigation. See, hydrocarbons, buildings, and jet fuel, they only burn 600 to 1400 degrees Fahrenheit. So we have a huge problem here, right? Steel had definitely melted. Here it is melting out of, falling out of the material held in the crab claw excavator. We can tell by the color of molten metals what their temperature is. 
Here, we're exceeding 2,500 degrees. Well, how do we get there? When this completely denies these temperatures, they, I mean, here's the evidence though, right? They can't. What caused the steel to melt? In fact, is, is thermite a possibility? Well, interestingly, uh, thermite is an incendiary used by the military to cut through steel like a hot knife through butter. But it would leave three tall tale, telltale signs. Uh, one, extreme temperatures, 4,000 degrees, because that's what it does. Two, uh, molten iron, that's elemental iron, not structural steel. Three, uh, uh, sulfur. And we already saw the examples of sulfur formed on the structural steel. So uh, what did the U.S. Geological Survey in, in their extensive testing of thousands of steels, of, of dust samples throughout the World Trade Center? What's in this stuff? It's fascinating. It came out in 2006. <sighs> Billions of previously molten, meaning 2,800 degrees Fahrenheit minimum, iron, meaning not steel, where does iron come from? Microspheres, about the diameter of a human hair. How do they get spherical? This is really quite a problem uh, because uh, thermite issues Molten iron, not steel, but molten iron at 4,000 degree temperatures. And if you add sulfur to thermite, it becomes even more effective, becomes thermate at cutting through steel. So up to 6% of these samples are these billions of previously molten iron microspheres, up to about four tons of them. By extrapolation, you can figure it out. So there's no accounting for these spheres at all. And yet the EPA uses it as a signature element identifying the World Trade Center dust from common office building dust. It's not even World Trade Center dust unless it has these billions of molten iron microspheres, but we don't know where they came from. We have, it's a complete mystery to us. Here's where they come from. You can burn thermite even in this small experiment. Looks like thousands of sparks slowing it down. Uh, they're, they're molten iron droplets. They cool and they fall in the pan. Could that be what's responsible for the toasting of the tops of the cars around the World Trade Center, which we have in a longer presentation? You see, when you aerosolized liquids that they form themselves into spheres by surface tension. That's how they get molten. I mean, uh, spherical. Well, you can make thermite cutter charges in your own backyard. Like John Cole did. Um, it's not that difficult. It's just aluminum powder and iron. oxide. Sorry, aluminum powder and iron oxide. That's like essentially rust and small pieces of aluminum. You can buy it on eBay. You can light it with a high temperature igniter. 
Well, if that was evidence of ignited thermite, which it can only be, by the way, there's no other explanation in or outside of the official narrative. Thermite does that. Nothing else does that. Leaves those signatures or this. A small team of scientists led by Niels Herrett in Copenhagen examined seven independently collected samples of dust and they tested them. What do they find? The paint chips is what they thought they found, but then they're attracted by a magnet. So they have a high iron content. Well, they get real curious. What's iron? One of the ingredients of thermite, right? Um, uh, essentially rust. Well, you have these chips that are about a 16th of an inch long. They get real curious and they do uh, testing on the red layer and they find the ingredients of thermite in the red layer of all of these chips that they found in all of the dust samples independently collected. They find aluminum. They find iron. Fe is iron. Hmm. So what are the ingredients of thermite doing in these chips? Oh, they get real curious now. They zoom in 50,000 times and they find iron oxide crystals and aluminum platelets at the nanoscale, a thousand times smaller than the diameter of a human hair. This is extremely uh, powerful engineered stuff. They've, they've taken an incendiary thermite and engineered it much more sophisticated down to a small scale. And they put it in a heater, a differential scanning calorimeter, and what happens when they heat it? These chips produce molten iron microspheres with the same chemical signature as the molten iron microspheres found by the U.S. Geological Survey. It's identical. So we know exactly where all those molten iron microspheres came from. They came from these chips. As if we didn't know, they're found attached to partially ignited red-gray chips. Red on one side, gray on the other. They're dual-layered. They were uh, formed as a as a as a liquid applied as a liquid and so we have um a, a, a set of self-corroborating repeatable experimental data that can be used in a court system uh, to bring the real perpetrators of 9-11 to justice see this was developed before 9-11 by lawrence livermore lab it's called super thermite you, by, by the time you get these particles at the nanoscale, they become, uh, the surface volume increases exponentially. So you have uh, a much faster chemical reaction becoming more explosive than incendiaries themselves. This is not made in a cave in Afghanistan. This is made only in the most advanced defense contracting laboratories. So, any enterprising journalist who really wants to get at the truth could do some digging around and find out who makes this stuff. Why is it in the World Trade Center? All of this evidence is documented in a 25-page P3 
peer-reviewed paper in the Bentham Open Chemical Physics Journal. It's an active, unreacted, thermitic material incorporating nanotechnology, and it's highly energetic, pyrotechnic, or explosive. So, you see, it's all there. Uh, and why did they, why didn't they do a real analysis, an investigation, another parallel between 9-11 and COVID, by the way, no real investigation and destruction of evidence as well. Another parallel. This is easily the largest and most perplexing structural failures in history when you, all three of them, but you have 400 truckloads a day starting just two weeks after 9-11 pulling the steel out of the pile, taking it and put it, being put on barges sent to China for recycling. This is before investigators could get their hands on it and do a forensic, a proper forensic investigation. This is the destruction of evidence in a crime scene. It's a crime all by itself. So that's why we have 3,600 now architects and engineers demanding a real investigation uh, into not only Building 7, but as we'll see, the Twin Towers and all three of these high-rises, this evidence has gone to a, the U.S. attorney for a special grand jury with 60 exhibits. Now we're making a film out of bringing the 60 exhibits alive. Uh, and so we're partway through the, the uh, production of the film. Phase 1 is done. It's in the can. We're editing it. That's Building 7. Phase 2 is the Twin Towers. And we're going to go back to D.C. in a month and a half and two months. And uh, and we're going to uh, film the, the evidence for the Twin Towers and the experts. We have like two dozen experts in, in their fields uh, going into this. So that's what I wanted to share with you. Dang. Yeah. Uh, I know this is going to be absolutely, uh, I hate to use the word explosive, <laughs> um, yeah. uh, you know, this series that we have, this uh, continuing series that we have with you, Richard, um, and uh, Bruce and Diana. Um, in the truce, the unanswered questions is the name of the uh, rumble that, uh, that Bruce and Diana have right now for 911. Um, and, how can people contact you, Richard? Well, um, I have a website. Guess what? It's right here. RichardGage911.org. You can see the progress we're making with the film 9-11 Crime Scene to Courtroom. We're partnering with the Lawyers Committee for 9-11 Inquiry because there's a whole legal analysis and advice to the grand jury. And we're trying other ways to get this material to the grand jury, now going to a federal judge uh, to submit it directly to the grand jury since the U.S. attorney has been uh, gatekeeping uh, this material. And that's what happens in New York. You got to keep trying until you get in and get your investigation. Never so we stop. Have, we have about 10 minutes for questions, ladies. Any questions? Rainey, would you, do you have any questions? Yeah, I have a question. What would be the motivation? The motivation for the inside job of 9-11? Well, um, because Building 7 uh, housed, for instance, 
thousands of files related to hundreds of cases in the Securities and Exchange Commission on the 12th and 13th floor where the worst fires were, Mm. interestingly, that they lost those cases. And those were huge cases. They were about to bring everybody down. Uh, The Enron case, right? Enron and WorldCom, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. And um, so that's one possibility of bringing Building 7 down. Uh, Other... it's been rebuilt now. It's, uh, it's It was already an aging building, even though it was built in 86. But the Twin Towers themselves were dinosaurs. They only had half occupancy, according to s- some researchers. Um, they couldn't get people to come in because it, re- it was requiring, uh, it required uh, like $10 billion in mechanical, electrical, and communication system upgrades. And so... Uh, they're just, and they were full of asbestos. Every time somebody moved in, did any kind of alteration, they had to do a complete asbestos abatement. And, and that was o- over $5 billion itself. Wow. So why would Larry buy these, these buildings, which were dinosaurs, $3.2 billion? Mm-hmm. Well, he walked away with $5.68 billion, uh, for one thing. Uh, he did very well in, in this gamble. He only put 15 to 100 million of his own money, depending on how you count it. Most people say 15 million. He turned that into 5.68 billion. That's how he could afford to rebuild there. We also have the uh, Project for a New American Century, which put on their website prior to 9-11, their goals, and this is a group of neocons, a neocon think tank. They wanted regional hegemony in the Middle East, uh, which would be benefiting Israel even more so uh, than ourselves, uh, well, the the deep state interests in the Middle East, as well as a vast increase in the the military budget. So, but they said uh, that absent a catalyzing and catastrophic event, like a new Pearl Harbor, Mm-hmm. these goals will take a long, long time to realize. <laughs> and Bush writes in his diary, we had our new Pearl Harbor today. So we have the invasion of Goodness. Iraq and Afghanistan. Two million people were killed, by the way. And we have a, 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 sick, a vast increase in the military budget, $48 billion immediately following this event. So who benefits uh, financially? The arms industry, the oil industry, the banking industry, the insurance industry, all of whom control collectively by ownership the media, 95% of which is owned by just five corporations. So all of these work together uh, and, and with censorship and propaganda. Uh, they can control the narrative driving the American people manipulatively to war. And, uh, and, and now, not only that, but as Ed Snowden came out later, we now know that uh, we've lost our civil liberties through the Patriot Act, the Military Commissions Act, and the National Defense Authorization Act of 2012, in which now all of our emails, texts, and phone calls are illegally recorded and nobody's doing anything about it yeah we all just go oh i've got nothing to hide right the nsa has the utah data center which uh 
acquires kilobytes of data per second. I think they're on petabytes now or petabytes. Mm. petabytes. I have a question. Uh, this nano or super thermite, at the time that this occurred, there's obviously evidence that it was there. Was it known that it existed? Were there patents available? Like, is there documentation as to where it could have come from? Yeah. Uh, Lawrence Livermore Lab developed this along with Los Alamos Lab uh, well before 9-11. And uh, it's called super thermite. So uh, who manufactures it in the quantities that would have been necessary? I mean, many tons of it. <clears throat> I don't know. Maybe the DOD in some capacity. I found that fascinating. I found um, everything about uh, the disclosure on this extremely fascinating. I encourage people to go to your website because uh, it's extremely important. I am so thankful that uh, this team is here for disclosure uh, every other week. Um, myself, uh, I was texting, uh, one of the girls and I said, my, one of my ex-husbands, I found out I was involved in some covert, uh, stuff, uh, unbeknownst to me that, uh, she, she was at Livermore Laboratories to work there. One of my husband's first girlfriends, she also told me to work at Gitmo. I'm like, who are you? Right. Hmm. <laughs> Just fascinating uh, stuff. Any more questions, Bruce? Do you have? Something? I, just had, I just had a quick question. Uh, so, uh, Richard, uh, you do not see to clarify. You don't see any evidence of some type of nuclear reaction that might have occurred with the collapse of the towers, because I know that's a sort of novel theory. I believe Heinz, Pomer, and others have been sort of talking about that one lately. Do you do you see any anything to that? Um, I don't know. Uh, if nuclear weapons were used, there'd be an incredible blast. And uh, there were seismic uh, uh, indicators of large blasts coupled to the ground. Uh, but uh, we believe those are uh, the explosions necessary to take out the structure. And that blast would have blown out the gypsum board uh, enclosures around each of the elevator hoistways. Because that's just, you know, you can put your fist through that stuff, right? Uh, a blast before it traveled from the bottom, according to those guys, all the way up to the top at the point of jet plane impacts, and then started blowing out the building from there down to the ground. Uh, it, no, it's it's ludicrous, the, the whole theory on that basis alone. But also you'd see uh, bright flashes, uh, 100 times brighter than the sun. You, you, you'd, you'd, you'd hear uh, these blasts throughout lower Manhattan, throughout New York, in fact. Uh, but they say, no, these are fourth generation nukes. Uh, so they don't do blasts or bright flashes or, or even uh, radiation levels on the order of what we're uh, familiar with, with nuclear weapons. Well, we can't talk about uh, uh, on the debate we can't put on the table the evidence for fourth generation nukes, which we don't have the evidence for. It's, uh, I think it's a distraction. I've shown just today uh, with the, the evidence for uh, thermite in its ignited and unignited format. It's forensic evidence. Uh, we see individual blasts coming out of the Twin Towers. When we come back, we'll, uh, we'll uh, talk about uh, those. And these are small explosions relatively uh, at the point of jet plane impacts in each of the towers. And those would be pre-placed. And that's how you could get explosions traveling down 
the towers and uh, emitting out of the towers at uh, 20 feet, 40 feet, even 60 feet below the zone of destruction, uh, these mistimed explosions, if you will. Well, we're running short on time. I want to thank all of you uh, for being here, Richard, Diana, and Bruce. We're going to see you back in two weeks. Hopefully, Richard, are you coming back? I'd be happy to come back. God, I love you. Um, <laughs> this is just uh, fascinating, and I want uh, I want to treat our audience. This is the time that they're going to be here every other week, and uh, so please come back and join us. And thank you all for uh, for coming on the Awake Nation, and I look forward to more information coming forth from your team. Thank you so very much. Thank Appreciate you. you all. Thank you. And um, I'm going to spend a little bit of time with my remaining co-hosts here. And I want to thank you, ladies, for just a wonderful day. My co-hosts today are Christy Tasker, uh, Patriots Perspective, and she's Christy Tasker from Miami.com, Heather Day Author, AI2030, HeatherDayMusic.com. You guys deserve an award for sitting through five hours. Five you hours. Do you do it six right. days a week. I'm, I'm sitting here I like, people don't understand what we do, that, but, you know, now y'all have a taste of it. And you're like, oh, yeah, I got to, I got to crick my back. <laughs> I'm going like this because I, I have my neck. I need a break. I need like a two second break. Uh, uh, Karen Britt, uh, executive producer, Kingdom Talks and the Elastic Army Band. So we've got three singers here. And then we had the fabulous, I love her, Rainy Robinson, PI, Jane Bond Investigations.com, and here's the backstory.com. So we have uh we have like four minutes, actually three minutes. <laughs> Any final thoughts, ladies? Just thank you. Yeah, incredible show, lots of things brought to the forefront. You know, we're about seeking truth and the quest for truth. So yeah, it's awesome. I came for the hors d'oeuvres. And I know. Did, were there any left? There was none. <laughs> there was none. <laughs> Penny, you promised me hors d'oeuvres. Uh, yeah, we've been drinking lots of coffee, just pouring it down. Um, and, uh, you know, I just have had a wonderful time. I said, this is going to be girl talk. It's going to be like a girl party. You know, all, all just beauty and brains mixed together. You know, just a, a little girl chat. I was going to put like a little pink telephone on there, but I thought, no, that's kind of like chauvinistic, is it? Maybe not. I did put a pink computer on there, a little, uh, little pink laptop. It's just it the, was perfect. Uh, and like a flamingo. It? I love all your little because I'm from Florida. And Christy Tasker has a jewelry company, so she has these pink flamingo. Uh, earrings and I also bought her a present which she doesn't know what it is oh. and I'm going to send it to her um but in in honor of uh you know of what she does also in disclosure so again a rainy Robinson you will be on Thursday uh your first uh interview and she has um uh, tell us where we can find you quickly oh you can find me all over social media I am just a tramp like that and <laughs> you can you can find me on here's the backstory.com. And and Heather, where can they find you? Heatherdaymusic.com? Yeah, Heatherdaymusic.com or Edencultures.com. And uh, I have a TikTok that has a lot of science y videos where I brainstormed my book, which is at Heather Day Music as well. And there's what a it's, it's called the Bat Crazy Virus <laughs> series. 
Great. Um, and yes. that's where I brainstorm my books. You can kind of see how it came to fruition if you check that playlist out. Lainey's on TikTok too, and her stuff is cutting edge. Oh, I'm going to find and so finally, Karen, where can people find yep. you? You can find me on the Elastic Army Band Live Talk. We do live shows also on the Quest for Truth with Karina Pataki on Kingdom Talks Media with Gil and Adina Hodges and also on the ElasticArmyBand.com. I want to thank you all again. And we're going to be seeing probably Heather and Karen tomorrow, but not for all five hours. Thanks, God, right? Uh, <laughs> one hour, one hour. Just on our, as our fifth hour co-hosts. And Rainey, we'll be seeing you on Thursday. So on behalf of the Awake Nation and David Zublick and myself, we are out of time. So we're out of here. Shepherd out. Peace out. Pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> Goodbye for today from the Awake Nation with co-host David Zublick and Penny L.A. Shepard. We are live on Rumble Monday through Saturday, 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. Central, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. Eastern. Followed by four hours of one-on-one interviews with influencers who defy the mainstream narrative. The Awake Nation, the truth with a shot of espresso. On behalf of the Awake Nation, with co-host David Zublick and Penny L.A. Shepard, we thank you for watching the Awake Nation and ask you to join us again Monday through Saturday.